0: Good evening. It's good to see you here tonight. I appreciate Lewis helping me up and down from the platform. This is better than an elevator; you don't even have to push the button. You know, I just, uh, so I appreciate his assistance. Thank you once again, Jim, for the ministry of music and uh, to each one who participated in our service this evening. We are taking a second week to consider the omnipotence of God we want to apply a bit of what we spoke on the last time the introduction is a repeat of what we looked at the uh, last time that we uh, spoke on a Sunday evening starts off with a quote by A.W. Pink we cannot have a right conception of God unless we think of him as all-powerful a definition that comes from Stephen Charnock uh, Puritan preacher, concerning the omnipotence of God, it is the power of God, is that ability and strength whereby He can bring to pass whatsoever He pleases, whatever His infinite wisdom can direct, whatever the infinite purity of His will can resolve. He who cannot do what He wills and perform all His pleasure cannot be God. The only limitation upon God's power is the restraint imposed by His own character. Such as in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Thus, God is able to fully accomplish His purposes. Herein lies the great difference between God's power and our own. We are weak. He is not. We do not have power over the evil one. We do not have power over governments. We do not have power over other people. We do not have power even over our own wills. Not only do we not have power over our own life, no man can add a day to his life. We think that we can, but we can't. But not only do we not have power over our own life, we don't even have power over our own wills. Romans 7:19. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Paul talks about an inner struggle that exists. And he does not find the power. He does not find the resolve. He does not find the willpower. If we can use that kind of terminology to bring about what it is that he purposes. We all know that frustration. We've all made vows. We've all made resolutions or we've made commitments to ourselves, if not to others, of changes that we're going to make in our life. And we mean them. And we're sincere. But yet we find ourselves going back on what we intended. That we don't have the willpower to see it through. Certainly God does. And there is no fuller consideration of the power of God than in the book of Ephesians. As I read the book of Ephesians, I think that it is really a a treatise on the power of God and how that power is displayed in the life of his people, the church. And we'll unpack that in just a moment. So tonight, a primer on the power of God in Ephesians. First, the vastness of of God's power, is incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible. We can't get our minds around it. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, a doxology that comes at the end of the doctrinal section of Ephesians. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout ages, world without end. Amen. So Paul ends the first section of Ephesians with a doxology. Praise to God, in which he is described as one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So first, God is able to do more than we ask him to do. Now in in him that is able to do above all that we ask. Uh, we c- certainly uh, do not in any ways uh, tire God or frustrate God in what we ask of Him in terms of it's too hard or too difficult for Him. Not only does He do more than what we ask Him to do, God is able to do more than we think He can do, above all that we we think. And in that particular Measure, I think that is the area of doubts that enter our mind. God has revealed Himself in the Scriptures, and yet there are times that we may doubt what is revealed, such as the miracles that He performs. Did He really walk on water? Did He really feed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fishes? We question sometimes doubt His revelation to us from His Word. But God is able to do much more than we ask Him to do or that we think He can do. Ephesians 3.20 Knowing Him is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. But then the text goes on to say that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask Him to do or can imagine or conceive that he can do. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly. Exceedingly. You notice how this idea is compounded. He's able to do exceedingly. Abundantly. Above all that we ask or think. Not just more. But much more. And not just much more. But exceedingly more. Than what we ask or think. And I believe that what is being communicated there is the idea that we, don't, we aren't even able to conceive of the alternatives of what God is able to do. We can't even think of the choices that are present for God. Because we are so finite, because we are so limited in what we can do. We can't imagine the alternatives that are available to God that just never even enter our framework, never enter our our thought. A poor example to be sure. But, for example, I'm an old guy being determined by the fact that I lived before the times of computers. All right, I. I did. Okay, I. I can remember when computers came to be. My brother got involved with computers on the ground floor. I can remember when he came to our house. I was uh, going to college at that particular time, and he came home with, believe it or not, one of the persons that was one of the companies that actually was very involved in computers early on, was Timex. And he came back home with a Timex personal computer. 4K was this computer. He paid $3,500 for a computer that basically could play Paul. That's about all this thing could do. And he had to program it to do whatever it was able to do. I remember when computers used to be mainframes that were filling uh, Buildings. Now, you take them home. I have a laptop. I email. But, you know, there are things that I forget. And uh, these handouts that I have, uh, a couple weeks ago, I called Pastor Dave and said, Would you mind dropping by and picking up this handout for Sunday night so it can be run off? So, being the nice guy that he is, he stopped by and picked up the handout. And he said to me, Why didn't you just email it to me? Why did you make me run over here? And he didn't say that. And I don't think he he said, why did you make me run over here? But that was the implication. And and I looked at him and said, because I didn't think of it. I'm still old school. I forget what computers can do. I forget what is available in this modern technology. I have yet to catch up. I don't think that way. I've got to push myself to get to the place where I think about what technology can do. It's a poor illustration. But I tell you that we can't even imagine the alternatives that are available to God. So how foolish to instruct him. (laughs) How crazy it is to be telling God what to do in our lives and through our lives, when we are clueless, is what God can do. 1 Corinthians 2.9, But just as written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who who love Him. We haven't even conceived of what God is doing and can do. Uh, Luther said, this is Martin Luther, Our thoughts of God are too human. I love that statement. Our thoughts of God are too human, meaning that we think of God in human terms. We limit God by making him too much like us. We think of God in terms of who we are and what our abilities are, and then we project them upon God. And then, secondly, not only do we think of him too much of being like us, but We want to stand in judgment over God. The the omnipotence of God includes his supremacy and his sovereignty. Although supremacy and sovereignty are not direct synonyms for omnipotence. They are subsets. Because he is omnipotent, he is sovereign. But not every sovereign is necessarily omnipotent. When we think of the word sovereign, it's the word king. A king is a sovereign. He is king over all things. But, you see, he is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is king of everything else. All other kings. He is lord over every other lord. That's what is meant by supremacy. He is over all things. Sovereign. He is king of all things. But he is omnipotent. And he cannot be omnipotent without being supreme. And he cannot be omnipotent without being sovereign. But as a sovereign, supreme being, he is omnipotent. All too often, people want to restrict God's right to reign. Omnipotence speaks of the sheer ability to reign... And do whatever he desires. Psalm 115 verse 3 states, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Daniel 4.35. And we're going to look at this uh, phrase by phrase. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Note that the text states not only that God is able to do whatsoever He pleases, but in actuality does whatever He pleases. He does according to His will. Not only does He have the capability, but He does. Nothing frustrates God. Nothing deters God. Notice, A. No one is able to stop God. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will and hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand. No one can stay his hand. No one can prevent him from doing what he desires. No one, no thing. Satan can't. Powers can't. Governments can't. There is no entity that can prohibit God from doing what he desires to do. Secondly, no one is able to call God to account for what he does. Notice the last phrase. Or say to him, what hast thou done? God is not accountable to any being. God doesn't have to answer to any court of law. There is no one, no entity, no angelic realm, no host, no nothing that stands in judgment of God. He doesn't have to make account for what he does. He doesn't have to justify what he does. He doesn't have to give answer for what he does. He does... What he wants to do without any accountability other than to himself. Here's the biggie, if you didn't think that was big enough. Because of being too human in our thinking of God, see, God does not consult mankind for permission or advice in what he does. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as Nothing. In the context, it's referring to, as God looks over this earth, as God is going to do what he desires to do, he calls none of us for advice. What do you think ought to do in this instance? Nor does he seek our permission. And that is where so many Christians fall down in their understanding of the sovereignty of God. They think that His sovereignty is governed by our freedom. That God cannot, must not, should not violate our will, our desire. As though God does not have that right. As though God does not have that prerogative, and as though God does not do that. But you see, that is calling God to account. That is asking God to justify His actions, and that is limiting His kingship over our lives. And so, we develop a concept that we grant Him permission to rule over us. We don't. We don't. We should acknowledge Him as our King and as our Lord. Because God in His grace gives us opportunity to bow before Him. But whether we bow willingly is irrelevant ultimately. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And I would be tempted to say. Whether they want to or not. But at that moment. At that moment. They actually acknowledge him. It's not just outwardly. That now they are professing that he is Lord. Because he has come in power over them but he actually brings about a position in which they have come to realize who God is and so they recognize their accountability before God they recognize their sinfulness they recognize the justice of the condemnation that they will come under for all eternity See, that idea of the omnipotence of God would be terrifying if it were not for the other attributes of God. The manifestation of God's power is antithetical to the statement that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You probably heard that said. The only reason that absolute power corrupts is because of man's sinful nature. If man is not accountable, if man can do what he wants, if there are no balances, if there is no consultation, if a man can just do what he wants to do, it's going to bring corruption. It's going to bring corruption. It's hard for us to imagine because we don't live in a kingship, we don't live in a dictatorship. We're in a republic in which we exercise democracy. And our elected officials are accountable to us. We don't know what it's like to live under a sovereign, a king, who's accountable to no one. David was accountable to no one but God. There's a big but there. He was accountable to God, but on earth he was accountable to no one else. And as a result, even David, a man after God's own heart, because of his own sinful nature, committed adultery and committed murder. Because humanly speaking, he'd get away with it. Who was going to do anything about it? He was the king. But of course, he didn't get away with it because God is sovereign. He's the king of kings, he's Lord of Lords. But the point is. No one holds God accountable, but yet God is good, and God is holy, and God is just. And we should marvel and be gracious, and and grateful, not gracious, be grateful for who God is. Because if he were not like that, we couldn't do a thing about it. He doesn't play with our lives. 2. God's power is uniquely seen in relationship to the church. Just as in the Old Testament God showed himself strong in relationship to the children of Israel, so too in the New Testament God's power is uniquely seen in relationship to the church. First, God's power is displayed in saving people in accordance with his purpose or desire. Ephesians one three four to 5. Blessed be the God and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven places in Christ, just as he... Chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blamed before him. In love, he predestined, predetermined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself, and now this phrase, according to the kind intention of his will. Or, as some translate it, according to the good pleasure of his will. God saved us by his choice to fulfill his purpose and his desire. Ephesians 2:8-9. For grace are you saved through faith that now yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God had a purpose in saving us. We can be grateful to God. He saved us. But He saved us in keeping with His will. It's all about Him and His power. Ephesians Ephesians 1.11 and we have also obtained an inheritance. I mean, men predestined according to His purpose. Who works all things after the counsel of His will. Out of the determination of His will. I said that God doesn't consult us. He doesn't. But... There is, in the scriptures, a heavenly council. So many times in theology, we want to make things simple. But in making them simple, we make them inaccurate. And one of the simplistic ways in which the Trinity is viewed in a salvific sense is it's often explained in terms of God the Father planned our salvation. God the Son planned achieved our salvation and God the Holy Spirit applies our salvation. But, it's actually the counsel of God. It's actually the Trinity. The three persons of the Godhead together determined what was to be done, how it was to be done, and how it was to be applied. And he works everything after that counsel of his own will. Ephesians 2 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What does that mean to communicate? You were dead in your trespasses and sins when it's talking about salvation. In essence, we were powerless to save ourselves. What can a dead person do? Answer. Nothing. Many Christians don't want to think of sinful people as being spiritually dead. They'd rather think of them as being spiritually sick or terminally ill or very, very sick and very, very ill but not dead. They want to hold out some kind of part that we have in this whole aspect. But in actuality, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And Ephesians 2.5, And even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So, we are made alive in Jesus Christ. God's power is to be uniquely recognized by the church. It is essential that as a people of God, we continue to grow in our awareness of God's power. We know that there is always room for improvement. We started out by saying he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. So, we need to ask and we need to think more. We need to grow. Now, the illustration that I made is appropriate. I've got to get up with the times. I've got to recognize what technology is able to do. So, this handout that you now receive, I'm happy to say that Pastor Dave did not have to come to my house and get because I simply hit a button and emailed it to the church. I'm growing, I'm improving. I'm developing in my understanding. And you see, we are to be constantly developing and growing in our understanding of who God is and what He can do. And we should be ever increasingly blown away, standing in awe of the majesty of the power of God. B, God's power is to be uniquely recognized by the church, as i said uh, the Ephesians need to grow in their understanding of the power of God. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus who, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, through the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that given to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your standing be enlightened, that you might know what's the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of His inheritance saints, and what's the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. B, Paul prays that the Ephesians might better understand God's power in spite of the fact that the Ephesians had already seen great displays of God's power. Uh, for the sake of time, I just allude to Acts chapter 19. And in that particular portion of scripture, in the city of Ephesus, Paul did mighty miracles by his hands. So that even a handkerchief could be given to someone, and as a result they would be healed. It's to these people that Paul writes and says, you need to understand the power of God. That's not it. That's not the whole ball of wax. That's not the amazing thing that He has the power to heal. We need to understand a whole, whole lot more than that. Two, we need to understand the exertion of God's power in saving us and saving us in the fullness of that word, of what God is about. Present tense, now and in the future. What God is doing in our lives. See, God's power uniquely benefits the church. Power, God's power is said to be directed towards us. Verse 19 was the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe. God's power is said to be at work in us. Now in Him he was able to exceed abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work in us. God's power is over all things for the church's sake. Ephesians 1.19 It was the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places, far above principalities, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which it has come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church." You see, the power of God is uniquely focused, like a laser, on the church of God. And there is absolutely nothing that can thwart God's purpose for His church. So Jesus taught, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is no entity. You see, that can destroy the plan of God. Revelation is going to be fulfilled. Every promise that He has declared is going to come true. Everything under His control for the benefit of the, of the church. D, God's power is uniquely displayed by the church. Ephesians 3.10 His intent was that now for the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Then we look at Exodus numbers about how God's power was displayed. And you can think of David and Goliath. You can think of Joshua, the battle of Jericho. You can see how time and time again, Israel was used to display God's power Over giants. God's power over cities. God's power over governments. And yes, God's power over the evil one. Time and time again, Israel was that object lesson to the world. Well, we are to be that object lesson to the world. E. God's power is to be relied upon by the church. God's power equips us for service. Ephesians 3.7 I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. It's God's power that was exerted in making us His servants. It is God's power that is able to make up for the lack of power in our own lives. Ephesians 3-16 that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit In the inner man, we just said we don't have the resolve to carry out our own desires and own intentions. But here we find that we can be strengthened by God's power. And this morning's message was a lengthy dissertation of how, in the life of the Apostle Paul, what he found to be a weakness by the grace of God, turned out to be a strength. Because of what God did, not because of what Paul did. That's why Paul won't boast. Because it wasn't him, it was God. And if there's anything that we need to really grasp tonight, is that it's not about us, it's about God. And it's time to take our eyes, and focus off of ourselves, off of our limitations, off of our weaknesses, and focus on an almighty, all-powerful God that is able to do whatever He wants with whomever He wants to do it with. And that's you and me. And our limitations only serve to put God's power on greater display. Application. Thus, we are to call and rely upon God's power and not our own. Finally, my brethren. Ephesians 6.10 Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You see, that's the final exhortation in Ephesians. That's the ultimate application. When it's all said and done. As he discusses God's power in the church, as he discusses God's power over all entities, as he discusses the armor of God and putting on the armor of God, the ultimate conclusion is, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Rely upon God. Three, God is to be uniquely glorified in the church and by the church through the power of Christ. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. So that A, God's power is a glorious power. It's a glorious power. It's an awesome display. If you remember back when the first George Bush was President, and we first went into Iraq. Do you remember that first night, what that was supposed to be? It was called a night of shock and awe, where all these armaments were pouring down upon Iraq so that they would just sit back and in amazement and in a sense of helplessness. To say, what can we do against such a mighty power as the armed forces of the United States? Shock and awe. But well, we should stand in amazement at the shock and awe of God. The displays of His power. But it isn't just that He's mighty. B, everything about God's power is glorious. Because it's always used for right. You may have heard the statement, might does not make right. But you see, God's might is always right. It is always good. It is always whole. We get into His wisdom. We get into His holiness. We get into the other perfections of His attributes. And so His power is glorious. It's something to rejoice in. Not just to fear, but to be thankful for. See, the people of God need to uniquely praise God for His power. Why? Because that power is primarily directed towards us. We are the primary beneficiaries of the power of God. We see God's power displayed in our lives in a way that non-believers have not seen it displayed. We've seen God's power displayed in saving us. And quite frankly, I think that's really where it starts. When we really come to grips with a sovereign God who has saved us out of His choice for His purpose according to His will not by our choice, not by our permission, but by His choice, His will, then I think we can understand how we can be grateful, thankful, appreciative, and begin to understand that God is able to do for me God is able to empower me in ways that go beyond what I can do. When you come to grips with you can't save yourself. When you come to grips with it wasn't my wisdom, it wasn't my goodness, it wasn't any character trait within me that I can point to as a justification for my salvation, but it was a gift totally of grace. Then we can begin to understand how God can equip us to do other things. How He's able to overcome other limitations in our lives. How He's able to transform us into the beings that He wants us to be. I want to be mindful of the choir practice tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, thankful for We thank you for your grace and goodness to us. We thank you for your power. For the comfort that it brings us. For you rule over all things. Almighty God, we acknowledge tonight that your power is glorious. Not just in its might, but in your wisdom. In your justice. In your goodness. In your patience. In your holiness. Lord, we thank you. That you who are the sovereign God. You who are the supreme God you who are the all-powerful God, has, is, and will save us and bring us into your presence. And your will will be done on this earth in totality. And we praise you for it. And we wait in anxious anticipation for all that you have yet future for us. In Jesus' name, amen.